Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. I was trying to do something nice for my wife the other day and it sort of backfired on me. So I take her a coffee to school. She, she wanted me to bring her a coffee, so I went to Starbucks and brought her a coffee and dropped it off in her classroom, and she's working with this little guy that I think has he got Down syndrome, and so, no, not that one, but she works in, in a classroom that's got kids that have some different challenges, and so I bring her the coffee, and I leave, and they get up and walk to another classroom. She takes a drink of her coffee, and the little guy looks at her and goes, that's your dada? I told, I told her to quit her job right then and there. I'm like, those people are mean. You can't work with them. <laughs> yes, yes. Not the first time that's happened. <sighs> We're less than two years apart in age, people. This ain't funny. <laughs> all right, enough, enough about, about that, right? I mean, not enough about me. I just, you know, all right. Christmas is a powerful time of the year. There's so much hope and change that's seen at Christmas. I mean, people change because hope is born. Born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Born to bring us life and hope. Born to set us free from the power of sin in our lives. Born to give us hope that death is not the end. Interesting. It didn't just start that first Christmas. It had been going on for hundreds of years before Jesus was born as a baby in a manger. There were moments when God would bring hope and life and change in people's lives that others wouldn't believe deserved it. Today we're going to look at one of those people. We're going to look at another one of Jesus' crazy relatives. Now, I know that's kind of a weird title, right? But it, because when you start to look at Jesus' relatives, you start to realize that there's some unusual characters in there. There's some really amazing ones, too. They're listed for us, tracing for us the family that would give us a sense of pride and, and others that we might ask, why are they included? Looking at the list of Jesus' relatives, we, we see some amazing people. People like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You get David and Solomon. You get Jehoshaphat, Ruth. And that brings us to the relative we're going to look at today. Rahab. We all have them. We have a relative that we'd prefer not to talk about. The one that no one really knows what to say. The only thing you can think of when that relative's name comes up is, well, they're interesting. It's a nice way of putting it. That would have been the case with Rahab. Not sure how to talk about Rahab. The New Testament even struggles a little bit with, with Rahab because they, they, you know, the writers of the New Testament mention Rahab, it isn't completely positive. 
If all we had to go on was a small portion of the book of Matthew, it, it would be a bit weird for Rahab. But we know more about her than this. You could just gloss over Rahab. But, but Matthew 1.1 says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Jumping down to verse 5, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. We are not going to read the whole genealogy of Jesus today. Praise God. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And then it jumps down to verse 16. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. But Rahab, Rahab just tucked away in there in verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And, and when you know the backstory of that singular sentence, you start to realize that God is in the hope-building business. And here is Rahab's story. Look, the children of Israel were at this point once before. They, they had been there some 40 years earlier. They were, they were on the, the precipice of entering into what God had promised. And they, were, they were looking there and they were seeing the promised land and they were about to take what God had designed for them. So Moses recruits 12 guys, 12 spies, one from each, each tribe, and, and he sends them into the land. Joshua and Caleb, they were the two that, that came back with a good report, and, and we know this story a little bit, and, and they come back with, with faith. There they believe. Oh, they say, we must go in. God has given us this land. It's an incredible land, and we got to go in the other 10. They were a bit on the negative side, and they were like, we're going to get ourselves killed. And they don't go in. And now, some 40 years later, only Joshua and Caleb were still alive. The rest of the generations had passed. Joshua and Caleb, and Joshua is leading the nation. They're on the east side of the Jordan once again, looking at the promised land. And this time, Joshua sends two instead of 12. And we read it here, and that's where we find the account of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now that is a weird start to the story. Right? I mean, if I were writing this, I probably would have left that part out. Let's just say, you know, and they went and stayed at the house of a woman named Rahab. It would be enough detail for me. But God includes it for a reason. What many believe about Rahab is that she ran an inn uh, that also served as a base for her prostitution. The inn makes sense, and the location of the house was a good place for spies to hide out. It goes on in verse 2 and says, But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. 
So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people were you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you have you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives, you, gives us this land. And since Rahab's house was built in the town wall, she let them down by a rope through a window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible moment, right? There, there's some things that we see here that are just amazing. And I, as I read that, and there's too much to cover, but as I read this and I, I look at and study the story of Rahab, I see there's some incredible thoughts to, to, for us to learn. And number one, it's kind of a, a quick one. God has a way of working through ordinary, unlikely people. I mean, when I look at Rahab, unlikely for sure, ordinary maybe not, okay? <laughs> not average run in a mill. But when you look at this, you realize that here's a person that God chooses to work through, who has a past, who has a story that God can work through them Rahab had a few things against her. her. Number one, she was a Canaanite. And it just meant she wasn't, she wasn't Jewish. She wasn't a part of Israel. She, she, was, she was a Canaanite. And, and it was huge in that time for, for people from Israel to accept somebody who was not from their background. It was huge. And to top it off, for God to use them was significant as well. You don't see many people spared when Israel enters the promised land. You didn't see it beforehand and you didn't see it later. Now, we, and we have some pretty good indications. Just in case you're wondering the, the, about God's you know, judgment and, and His... Look, part of the reason why many of those nations were wiped out was, was because of their sinfulness. 
It clearly states that, the Amorites and the promise of Abraham and all that back in Genesis, it, it's there. But you just have to understand, they were sinful, wicked people. Okay, so like just, because that gets a little weird, right? When we talk about God wiping out certain countries and nations, all these things like, man, part of it was judgment for sin. Okay. So number one, she's a Canaanite. Number two, she's a woman. Now, like I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about then. That was an incredible moment, right? Because, because and still in many parts of our world today, women are treated like second-class citizens. They're without the right to vote. In some places and in some cultures, even still today, are considered objects to be owned. It was a little bit that way at that point. Let's just be honest. But look, God celebrates people. Male and female, we learn it in the New Testament that there is neither slave nor free, male nor female. There is, God has chosen people, period. And He uses everybody. We got to understand that, that we got to understand that God has designed us to be the people of God and He's going to use people, male or female, doesn't matter. It's God and that's what He does. And we need to elevate that. We need to celebrate that. That God works through everyone. Period. Here's another problem she had. She was a liar. <laughs> it's not a good thing. It's interesting too that God uses her in the midst of this and, and, and yet she does in this moment lie. And I know there's all kinds of justification all these things. Look, truth really matters. And being people that are honest and truthful matters. One of the things that drives me crazy is lying. Like, people lie. It drives me crazy. It's something I can't handle real well. Okay, and, and the fourth strike, and I realize in baseball you only get three, but the fourth strike for, for Rahab was she was a prostitute. <laughs> I'm just, just thinking that wasn't really high on the list of qualifications for God to use people. Okay, I'm just saying, it's not. Let's assume this. Let's assume it doesn't bother God that, that he was working through a Canaanite. You know, not everybody could be a, an Israelite. So, okay, let's imagine also that, you know, in the chauvinistic culture of that time, and sometimes today, God could work through a woman. But the idea of God working through a prostitute Kind of challenges us slightly. What we can see is that God can work through anyone and he sees potential in everyone. Like, I mean, think about that for just a moment. You know, look, God speaks to her somewhere in this process for her understanding to go to the level it does. So somewhere in this moment, she, she hears God's voice at some moment, at some level, and responds in faith and obedience. Now, we'll point that out as we go further, but, but at some point in here, she has this moment where she understands who these people are and who their God is. And she responds by faith. And we see that throughout the, throughout the Scripture. Okay. So when you consider those things... The strikes against Rahab. Let's also think about what it teaches us. 
first one is this. Don't let your past define you. Look, Christmas is a season of hope. Look, this story of Rahab is a story of hope. It's a story of hope. Look, look, think about this for just a moment. It's one thing for Rahab to be spared. But in that moment, she goes, hey, 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 hey. While I'm at it, my father, my mother, my sisters and brothers, and their families, spare them all. Huh, that's an act of faith. Right? I mean, she wasn't looking out just for herself. She was looking out for her family. Look, why isn't Rahab known as, the, as Rahab, the hero of Jericho? Why isn't she known as Rahab, the, the woman who saved her family? No, even in the New Testament, she's known as Rahab the prostitute. That doesn't make any sense to me. She should be known as the person who had an impact on, on, on saving people and who had enough faith to trust God to be saved herself. Okay. Don't let your past define you. Don't let others define you. We're often given labels. Do not let those labels define you. Let the labels that God gives you define you. I love some of the songs we sang this morning just because one of them is like my favorite, um, as people know. Um, yeah, Death Was Arrested. It's one of my favorite songs. Love the song. Why? Because it shows us life change. It, 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 there's another one that we say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Like, that's the label we need to live with. But that isn't the only one. We're heirs. Co-heirs with Jesus. We're his friends. We're called his brothers. We're called his sheep. Maybe not as positive. Um, branches on the vine. We're his instruments. We are his ambassadors. We are his treasure. We are his bride. He declares that we're one with him. Think about that, that, that God chooses to identify himself with us. He wants us to represent him. It's an incredible moment. And he did the same with Rahab. Rahab gives us hope. Rahab joined a new family. She traded her Canaaniteness to become a person, a woman of God, a woman who was associating herself with the Jewish people, a person who was willing to say, I'm done with the gods of my past. I'm going to start a brand new life. I'm going to start a life that's following the God of the Israelites. She says it and we see it in the scriptures. We see what she says. She says, simply, for the Lord your God is a supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She gives us hope. Look, she had to do something. By faith, she was instructed. They said, if you don't put this scarlet rope in the window, we're not responsible. 
but you have to do this. You, you have to do this. It will be a sign for us. And it's a sign that you trust us. It's a sign that you're putting your faith in us. She, she wasn't willing to just add another God. She wanted the God. She wanted the God of the Israelites. Rahab was willing to put aside all those other things. But how surprised must she have been? I mean, I get it, I get it. You know, it's one thing just to save your life, and it's one thing just to, to be welcomed into the family, but, but, but she gets a little bit more prominent place in the story. She becomes part of the lineage of the Savior, of the Messiah. I mean, that, that, that's just an incredible moment. See, there's a lot of people in, in the nation of Israel that were like, I want to be there. And God chooses Rahab. To her amazement, she, and she didn't know, she didn't understand it, but, but it would have been so amazing to see and to understand that God would enable her to get her, her whole life together and in such a way that she and her loved ones would become part, an integral part of the story that God was writing and telling for the salvation of Incredible. But God speaks to her somehow. Look, look I, you know, with, with all the flaws that she had, one of the things that strikes me in this story is how does she become military strategist? Right? I mean, she gives specific instructions. The other miracle is those guys listen to directions. She says, you go into the hill country and stay there for three days. And like, like, seriously? And all she can be known for is Rahab the prostitute? She's Rahab the hero of Jericho. She's Rahab the child of God. She's Rahab the savior of her family. And I realize she, she's the one that takes the risk. And she stands in the gap for others. If, if, don't you want a kid like that? Who's going to stand in the gap for the father and the mother? His brothers and sisters? And their family? Like that's a powerful deal. But no, Rahab's known completely different than that. Many. Suggest there's some thoughts here that you could we could also learn from. Rahab should be commended for her hospitality. Hospitality matters. Welcoming people in. And she was hospitable. She welcomed them in. She, she hid them in, on her roof in flax. Now, it's probable that, that her family was some kind of agrarian and probably harvested some of that stuff, pulled it up through the window, put it up on top of the roof to, to dry out. It was a normal thing for the flax on the roof. It was probably it was something they did. But she used what was there and she showed hospitality. She had mercy. I mean, think about it. The king's people came. She was up, up on the roof. <laughs> she could have turned him over. She didn't. She took a risk. Showed mercy. She was faithful. We see that. As we go from this point forward, it must have been. 
She must have been faithful because she's pointed out that way. And she's repentant, which we already talked about. Hebrews 11.31 says it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. There's a couple of thoughts in that verse to just look at. One, she's listed in the hall of faith with some incredible people. People that we would definitely go, oh man, they're amazing. This is where I think, in Hebrews 11, she should be listed as Rahab, the hero of Jericho. It just makes more sense, easier to read the whole thing. It brings up a story. If you could read this to your kids, you, you got some explaining. But there's another point to point out there, and that is, she was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. Somehow, some way, I don't know how it is, I don't know what God was doing and what message was communicated, but somehow, some way, the people of Jericho were given an opportunity to obey God. She gave a welcome, a friendly welcome to the spies. James writes it this way in James 2.25. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Look, our faith in God demands good works. Our faith in God demands that we do things that are reflective of the change that's taking place in our lives. That's what Rahab does and evidently continued to do years after the specific occurrence. We see later in, in, later in the book of Joshua what takes place. We know the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, that whole thing. And that everyone, except for Rahab's family, perishes. It's an incredible moment. Now, you know, when you read that story and you you know that they march around and the walls fall and all that stuff. Remember, her house was in the wall of the city. That's how they got out of there. So the walls crumble, except for her. There's a powerful... See, God does miracles in the midst of all this. The story that God writes. See, because God will do things in our lives that are miracle stories that we, we often miss or forget about. Like, I, like, like, I'm never going to forget December 9th, right? I'm never going to forget it. It's, it's going to be etched in my life. And now it's even more etched in my life because now I know that God has done an incredible restorative work in my life, in my heart. Look, I can ride 100 miles on my bike, but I can't shovel snow. That's a miracle from God. How sweet it is. But he wants to do things like that in all of our lives. And they may not be as dramatic. They may not be like, like that like major as far as easily point to in his life. But truth be told, God wants to take all of our lives from wherever they are today and continue to build on them. 
He's wanting us to live a life of faith, right? Like, we're not going to be mentioned in the Scriptures in the Hall of Faith. But I want to be known as a person of faith. I want to be known as a person who trusted God in the midst of everything. Like I remember in the midst of having a heart attack, laying there realizing this is not good. But the only reason I was concerned about living was not for me. My concern for living was for my family and for what God has called me to do. Look, if I'd have stepped into eternity December 9th a year ago, I'd be celebrating in heaven. I'd be in the presence of the Savior. Like, like we've got to live with that kind of mentality. We've got to live with that kind of passion. We've got to live with that understanding that, you know, for us to live, we're going to carry out the mission that God has given us. For us to die, we're going to be in His presence. We have to understand that. And, and He can do, like wherever we find ourselves, He can do incredible things through us. Like if you're sitting here today, and you've let your past define you, you need to let God define you. If you're sitting here today and you're living under labels that people have given you for years, you need to let God set you free. You need to understand that God has a plan and He's wanting to do something great. And in that moment, and in those moments, like you may be already a follower of Jesus and you're still letting the other people define you. Don't let them define you. You need to understand. God will define you. He will gift you. He will equip you. He will lead you. And for those that have followed Jesus for years, look, he still isn't done. He's wanting to walk with you through this now. And in every moment, in every circumstance, look, look, how would I to know that my heart attack would give my wife an opportunity a year later to share Jesus with some coworkers? Because they asked about it. Because they asked about my heart attack and she begins to talk. Look, look, God will use anything. And if God can use a heart attack for his glory, I'm okay with it. I don't want another one. But I'm okay with it. Okay, look, whatever God wants to use in my life, I'm okay with it. That isn't always easy. It isn't always fun. God is good. No matter what we go through, no matter what we experience, that's why we sing a song called Oceans. Because He's going to call us out on places and we're going to go places that we were prepared for. But the wind and the waves still know His name. And we need to still know His name. This morning, if you're in this place and you need God just to work in whatever situation you're in, that's my prayer for you today. Whatever you're going through, if you've let other people define you, you've let labels define you, today let God speak hope in your life. Because that is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our churches. God, would you do what you want to do in these final moments we're gathered here this morning. Lord, Speak life and hope and peace into people's lives. Well, for those who are in this room that have let their past define them and let labels define them, God set them.
free. Lord, speak clearly into their lives. God, if you can speak to Rahab, you can speak to any one of us in this room. And you can bring life and hope, peace and joy and a future to people's lives today. Lord, I pray that we will take advantage of every moment you give us to communicate this message of hope that's found in the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Celebrated and sealed through his death and resurrection. Lord, we're so grateful for we are your children. And you are our God. Lord, thank you. Have your way in these closing moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning?